0: Good morning, first service. Good morning. Uh, I'm gonna steal a little bit of Jason's thunder here, but he hasn't been here for the whole ride, so I don't mind doing it. This is 27 months in the making that Great Oaks is fully staffed. No one's more excited than I am. <laughs> I'm excited about the team that's been assembled. All the additions we have, they're, they're knocking it out of the park, and I'm excited to have them on this team and to serve with them. Good morning, church. This is the second week of our Equip series that I get to dive into today. If you don't know what this series is all about, it's kind of like all about what church is supposed to be like, and what better way than now that we're fully staffed and starting to move positive momentum forward than to talk about what is the church about? What is Great Oaks about Last week, Pastor Jason talked about being passionate about the gospel, so much so using sandpaper and then also going into the gray to reach people with the gospel. Today, I'm not going to lie to you, I'm a little nervous about this message. Here's why I'm a little nervous about this message. It's not an easy message. It's actually a difficult message. It affects everyone in this room. If you are new to Great Oaks, if it's your first Sunday, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Come back next week, give us another shot. <laughs> All right? If you've been church a lot of your life, this sermon is for you. Maybe this sermon is for you if you want to be to church for a little while and something's happened to you. But a couple weeks ago when I preached on this obscure story from the Old Testament of Balaam's donkey during our favorite series I said this isn't my favorite text because I'm preaching on my favorite text in a couple weeks, which is this text today We're going to be in Acts 15 all morning Acts 15 is A text where you see conflict in the church and you get to see a look behind the screen about how this works Because Acts 15 is the first opportunity That the church could split. The church had been around all of maybe 15 or 20 years post-Jesus, post-the-resurrection, and already, it's looking like it's on the brink, and it's about to just fall apart. Now, I'm going to give you the spoiler of today, and the spoiler of today's message is this. As we walk through this text, we see what really saves this is the focus of the mission of the gospel and that's what holds the church in acts 15 intact you might ask well chase you just gave us the resolution of the whole sermon i did and here's why i did that this morning because i believe we should look at the journey how they got there what happened because we can learn so much from the journey especially when it's hard today i'm talking a lot about conflict not gonna be shy i like conflict that's why I serve as the executive pastor of Great Oaks. It's number one in my job description. Is conflict. I believe conflict is what grows us when we can have it healthily. So that is the awkward conversation we have this morning. Let's pray. <laughs> the only Father, God, we are so, so glad we can gather in your house this morning. As we dive into the word, we pray that it be your words and not mine. God, as we tackle a, a difficult topic, we pray that it convict where it needs to, including myself. God, we also pray that the Holy Spirit just move in the room. We thank you for your grace and the grace of your Son Jesus. Pray us in His name, Amen. As we dive in this morning, I think the first point I want to hit is this: we as Christians have a habit of taking the gospel and adding to it. It's just natural. We like looking at things and saying, "Oh, that's not good enough. We need to spice it up a little bit. We need to add a little something to it. It's too vanilla." No one likes vanilla. Let's be real. Whose favorite flavor is vanilla? No one. If it is, I'm sorry. All right? You're wrong. And so we do the same thing in the church because for some reason the gospel just ain't good enough. we got to add something to it. And what we've seen throughout our history in the world and also in the United States is we've seen this in the church. One of the biggest things we have added to the gospel is this word called legalism. And what that happens is, how we get legalism is, legalism comes from these cultural wars that we see happening throughout our country. For example, you look back to the 70s. Some of you might be like, man, I was a teen in the 70s. Yeah, okay, let's go there. And immorality was rampant with sexual activity. So therefore, what came out in the church was this purity culture. Of, hey, if you belong, if you belong to Jesus, if you're in the church, then you have to remain this way. Yeah, yes, there's some biblical principle there, but it was drove home. Because we gotta be different than the culture, we got to look different. And so much so it started being tagged on to the gospel. Not only do I believe in Jesus, but I have to do this. I've been in ministry now vocationally, going on 14, 15 years, and I'm gonna tell you something. Most of my time in ministry has been doing one particular job. Yeah, I served as a student pastor. I've served as a lead pastor. I've served as an associate, served as an intern. Uh, But my number one job that I've done most of my hours in is what I call repair ministry. It's repairing people. You might be like, oh, yeah, man, the world damages people. (laughs) I get it, Chase. I bet there's people coming in from the world, and you got to look at them and be like, hey, that's not okay. Well, church, the problem is this. My repair ministry is because the church has wounded them and not the world. So let me me have an honest survey. If you're sitting in the room or online this morning, let me ask you this question. Who in here has ever been wounded by a believer or the church? Want to get really real, who's been wounded by Great Oaks? And and Guys, that's, that's not okay. We're flawed. We're human. I get it. But there's a better way. I guess the best way to talk about it is a story I want to share. I want to tell you a story about a a young female student. Um, At this point, I don't know if I was in student ministry or not, but a mom called me one day when I was in Pennsylvania and said, hey, I want you to meet with my daughter. Something's wrong, and I don't know what it is. But I think she'll talk to you. And this student had been coming to our student ministry program. They didn't attend our church but in a smaller town in Pennsylvania, you usually have one or two churches that have youth programs, and the others don't have one. And so we have kids from other churches coming in all the time. And I said, sure. Normally when I meet with a female student, it was pretty simple. Hold on, let me get Tammy my assistant for you, and she will handle this. But as I sat down with her, and her mom was sitting outside the room, and we were talking, I started seeing some brokenness, some trauma, and I started diving at an issue. And normally when talking to a teen, and they're struggling, You're diving towards one or two or three issues. Usually it's identity, parental issue, or or they've gone too far in a relationship intimately. And I I started picking up on that and started diving into it. And she looks at me and she goes, Chase, I just, I'm dating someone and it it went too far. I said, okay. Talk through that. We can talk about, you know, the power of love of Jesus and being made new. We can talk about all that. And then I I saw some more brokenness. And then she uttered something that I will never forget. She looks at me and says, You know, you're not the first person I've told. And I said, Okay. She goes, I went and talked to my pastor at my church. And he looked at me and he uttered these words to me. The words he uttered were these Who's going to want you now? Hey, for those of you that know me, know that I don't have too many emotions. I have two great motions. One is just utter, like, grief. The other is just rampant anger. <laughs> and so luckily, God chose the better of those two in the moment, and it broke me. And it broke me because as she continued that story, somebody that says that I'm a man of God, that I'm preaching the word, told this young adult, who's going to want you now? And I'm sitting here looking at her going, Jesus does God, I hope you know that. God wants you. And I was trying to give that identity and say, please know that God loves you, no matter what you've done and who you are. And then the the kicker came, okay? She goes, I have to keep going to that church. And I said, well, you don't really have to, but we can talk through that. She goes, Chase, the pastor is my grandfather. (laughs) Okay, Um, what do I do with that? Because now you're broken on multiple levels. Pastor's supposed to defend you and be there and shepherd you, has hurt you. And now a family member that's supposed to guide you and love you unconditionally has completely broken you. The only thing I would say in the moment was I want you to know that you are loved. And I tell you this, God loves you. And God wants you. And what you've heard, I can't promise you that that came from a Christian man. Because I don't know. Church, we wound people. We see where that's where legalism can lead us and guide us. Now, before you're like, oh, thank God that we live in, you know, this Germantown Hills, we go to Great Oaks. Great Oaks doesn't have these issues. Great Oaks doesn't have these problems. Okay, we'll go down that rabbit trail with you. But let's be real. We've struggled with this too, Church. Maybe most recently, the two words that I could say to you that you remember that Great Oaks has had some of this, the issues that we've struggled through, is I could utter the two words of membership covenant. That's hard. Because all of a sudden, people are like, well, I can't belong until we do this this, 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 number 9, number 12, number 13, letter Z. And the heart of this message today is that God wants you and we need to keep our eyes on mission. Think about that while we dive into the text. Let's do that this morning. Acts 15, verses 1 through 5. We'll be preaching from the ESV. So if you're going the Bible app, just click the three letters. Here we go. Starting in verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem To the apostles and the elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them in order to keep the law of Moses. So let's unpack this. First thing you need to know is this. Then some men came down from Judea. They came down saying that we come from James, who was the elder, the high elder of the church in Jerusalem at the time. But what we learned in Galatians 2, and we were gonna do a whole series in Galatians in a couple weeks, Galatians 2 and Acts 15 are what we call parallel passages. They walk hand in hand, they tell the same story. And so what we know from Galatians is these two men that came from James really didn't have the authority of James. James did not send them. So how I how I put this is it'd be like two of people in here randomly going out without anybody knowing and saying, Hey, I speak with the authority of Pastor Jason. That's what's happened here. That's really what's happened in the text. And they start stirring up this issue that unless someone is circumcised according to the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Uh, most of you in here, I, I believe, know what the word circumcised means. If you don't, ask your parent, ask our new student pastor, do whatever you got to do. So, so as, as, as we dive into this, so make sure we understand this, they're saying, hey, you got to do this in order to be saved. And Paul and Barnabas are furious about this. And then they come to Jerusalem. And then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, hey, no, no you have to do this. First off, if you guys don't know a Pharisee, it's a teacher of the law from Judaism. We, we saw this. Jesus battled them a lot. And you might be asking, well, Chase, why are they involved in church leadership at the time? Why are they involved in the church? Because... Early on, striving for unity, the believers told the Pharisees, Hey, as long as you believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus, come on in. Bring it. But the problem is they brought this with them. And what this really comes down to is a power play, because every Pharisee that's worth their salt knows, if we start with circumcision, that, hey, ceremonial washings, dietary restrictions, all of this has to be followed, and they've tied it to salvation which is not okay. Really, it becomes this, you better look like us if you want to belong. That's what this looks like. That's what's being said here. You better act like this. What it reminds me of is this word called moralism, which is the belief that the gospel can be reduced to improvements in behavior. Like, hey, if you act like a Christian, you will be saved. If you do these things, you will be saved. Guys, that is not the gospel. Maybe to say it a little bit harder is this. There will be plenty of people that acted morally that are not in heaven. Because they did not know the gospel. So what happens with this debate? Well, the apostle Peter gives his final speech in the book of Acts, and it's brilliant. And here's what he says. Starting in verse 6. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed, them, cleansed their hearts by faith. Verse 10, now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples, that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. Verse 12, and the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So let me explain what's happened here. Apostle Peter stands up and he talks. And I'm pretty sure with the room, when Peter's speaking in this moment, everyone's going to listen. This is the Apostle Peter, after all. And so they hear his words. And what he's getting at is, what is salvation? Because you're now adding this. They have to be circumcised. They have to do this. And the problem that we have with that is, hey, we've seen people be converted and the Holy Spirit's come upon them that did not follow these things. He's referencing Cornelius earlier in Acts that this happened with. So the question Peter's getting at is, what is salvation? And in verse 11, he hits it. But we believe that we'll be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Mic drop, walk off, Peter's gone. Guys, that is the foundation of the gospel. It's the foundation that we believe still today, that we believe that we'll be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And Peter's response is, why are we putting a yoke on them? Let me explain what a yoke is. If you want to throw this picture up, I got a yoke. Here we go. That's a double yoke. He put that around two oxen, two horses, you know. And really, back in the first century, you would have some ox that would walk around in a circle the entire time on this threshing floor, and they'd be opening up you know, carob seed pods and stepping on them. And this yoke was heavy. It was meant to put all their weight on the ground. And they'd walk in a circle for most of the day, opening things up. And here's what Peter's alluding to. Why are we putting this on the neck of believers when we couldn't follow? Why would we choose this? Because essentially what's happening is What this party of the Pharisees want and these other people is, we want the cross plus this in order to be saved. Church, when we do that, the cross plus this, you're already wrong. The only thing that saves you is the act of the cross. And that's fulfilled through the resurrection of Jesus. That we know he defeated death for us. So please stop. I'm telling myself that. Because we add things to this, and all of a sudden, and we might not say it that, hey, you have to do this to be saved, but we do it, guys. We put that impression on people. Let me give you an example. One thing that we've done in our history is church attendance matters. Being in church matters. Not to call anybody out. Who in here is old enough to remember when they gave attendance medals out in church? Anybody? All right, a couple of you, okay. Yeah, I had to read that in a history book just so you're aware. All right. (laughs) But let me put it in our context today. How many of us, when we meet somebody in public and they look at you and you say, hey, I haven't seen you at church, and they look at you and say, you know what, I joined online this week. How many of you look at that and be like, ooh, online, is that really church? We do that. Some of the, our staff even openly admitted they do that. We, uh, we talk about that. I know some of you feel that pressure of being in church because I know when I'm at Costco and I might see one of you, you're like, oh, I haven't been there in two weeks, run. <laughs> I know that. I get it. I'm not a sly person. You see me coming, I know. But we do this. Now, don't hear what I'm not preaching. I'm not saying, hey, Chase just gave everyone the excuse never to be in this building ever again. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's this mentality of we have to. I hope when you walk into this room every Sunday morning, you say these words, man, I get to be here. I get to be here. That's the mantra we want. No one on our staff wants someone to come in this room and be like, man, I, gotta, I have to be in this room this morning. I'm forced. My spouse will yell at me if I'm not here. Maybe the next one that way we do this is what you look like. How you looking, church? I don't think we struggle with this one as much, but I know there's plenty of churches out there that if you walked in with blue hair and you're not over the age of 65, it ain't okay. I get it. But church, we do this. Some of us have sat in places like that. And maybe we don't get that on just such a physical appearance at Great Oaks, but maybe what we do here is maybe it's like, ooh, that's what you chose to wear? Mm." Tell you what, that's what I do every Sunday. I'm just kidding. I do it on Sunday morning. (laughs) You see how I dress. But maybe that's how we get. Maybe that's the way. And There's a third one. Don't put it on the screen yet. Because this one's real. This one is like, I tried to throw some softballs out to, to lighten this a little bit. That's my preaching tactic. This one's real to us. And it's like the elephant. If you've been around Great Oaks for longer than, I don't know, an hour, you, you've known that we've had some rough conflict you know, in the last couple of years. We've gone through staff transitions. We've had, we've, had, we've had a rocky boat. And so maybe the third way we do this is this is what you have to believe. Now let me tell you what I'm getting at, because I'm not going to mince words this morning. This is how you have to interpret Scripture. This is how you have to do communion. This is the style of worship we have to have. This is how we do baptism. This is what you have to believe about roles and genders. This is what you have to believe about creation. This is what you have to believe about all of this and I want to say this the problem with when we get there is where's our teachable spirit where's our humble heart where is it because yes I have positions on every single one of those things some I care about more than others but do you know what overrides all of that and I hope it overrides me for the rest of my life and I try to keep this is that someday I believe that, you know, when I see God in heaven, I don't know what that'll be, I'm okay with him looking at me and saying, "Chase, you got this wrong. You got this view wrong. You got this teaching point wrong. How you interpret 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is wrong. And the reason I'm okay with that Because as long as I got the gospel right, and I can say I have Jesus, and that's what I tried to spread and try to make sure people knew is that the cross is salvation through the act of the cross and the resurrection, and just believing in Jesus and then wanting to learn more. I hope that covers. I know it does. Some of you might look at me and will say, "Chase, but you know, hey." In the Gospels, Jesus said, We got to get this right. Got to get this right. Actually, Jesus never said that. If you wonder who said that, that'd be the Pharisees. And, church, the hard point is this today. I think some of us, if we were to be in the first century church, would be a whole lot closer to hanging out with Pharisees than we'd be hanging out with Jesus. That's the hard truth. I've been there, I know that. There's times when arrogance takes over. There's times when pride takes over. And I realize that that is what Jesus spoke a lot about. Breaking down teachers of the law and saying that's not okay to do this. So hear my heart. The reason this is a passion of mine is because all of my undergrad work, when I was at Ozark Christian over in Missouri, there was a mantra That one of the founders gave a quote and it was ingrained in my life every single day. And it's something I teach here at Great Oaks. I teach at one of our classes. And it's this quote here. Who we teach you to love is more important than what we teach you to know. I hope you know that. That's my heart. And before you take this message and run with it like, oh man, nothing else matters but salvation. No, that's not true. Because once we come to the cross, that foundational belief of grace is what saves us, you should want to know more. You should want to dive in more. That's why we have all the stuff that we have. That's why we have life groups. Not only to be in community and life together, but also to be learning and striving more together. But what I'm saying is, as we go to learn more, you got to be careful of how we prioritize what we learn. Because all of a sudden, these things that we learn along the way— if you're putting that up there with the cross, you're wrong. I'm wrong. Church moralism is an idol in the church and it's destructive to the gospel message. When we start telling people you have to do this, this, this and this and this if you call yourself a believer, man, we are teaching people really flawed view of scripture. I shared a story with you earlier about a young girl Let me wrap that story up. Because the reason I hate sharing that story is the end of that story doesn't end in happiness. That girl's still broken today. Still struggling today. Still going to counseling every week today. Because a man said some words to her from a position of authority, not only as a grandfather, but as a pastor, and it broke her identity with God. Church, as we sit in this room, as people stand on this stage, understand the power your words have. Understand the power my words have. So if they're not laced with the love of the gospel, ah, oh man, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Here's how this story finishes out. Let's, let's go ahead. Starting in verse 13 of Acts 15, after they finished speaking, James replied, and I want to explain who this James is. This is James the just. This is not the apostle James. This is the half-brother of Jesus, all right? So James gets up, half-brother Jesus, and says, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree just as it is written. Verse 16, after this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from of of old. What James is using there, before I get to the next verse, is that comes right from the book of Amos. Which every Pharisee would know. And he's saying, this was always part of God's plan. Verse 19, therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. You know, the NIV and the New Living Translation, both, I like how they word it. They actually say, therefore my judgment is that we should not make it difficult. We should not make it difficult for those Gentiles to turn to God. Why? Because we know what salvation is, it's coming and knowing the cross of Jesus. Galatians 2.16, I mentioned this is a parallel, it's worded this way, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus, in order to be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And then James ends it with this, 20 and 21 of 15. But should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every, these, every city those who proclaim him. For he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. You might be like, whoa, 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 circumcision's not important, but now we're just throwing in dietary restriction. And let me explain what James is doing here. James is giving this temporary advisement. Hey, in the meantime, try to do this, and here's why. We all need to be able to get together in the room together, and Moses is still being preached from every synagogue in every city, and we need to be able to be in a room without brothers causing each other to stumble and those feeling like there's defiled around us. So what James is doing here, he's trying to look at the gospel, look at what the mission of the gospel is, and do it to the best of his ability. He's striving for unity. We know this is a temporary command because of how it's words about Moses. That it's taught in every city and every synagogue. We know that was temporal because it didn't happen longer than probably 30 or 40 years after that. Church, we've lost sight of what unity looks like. How I know this is true? In the world today, there is 45,000 different denominations of Christian church. 45,000. I had to look that number up again because I used to preach 36,000, and it's changed since the last time I looked. Man, that's not okay. And all these happen because we disagree on these things of how we do ordinances, communion, baptism, all these issues. When in fact, when you look behind the curtain and how James does it beautifully, in the church, every decision should be filtered through the mission of the gospel. How do we get more people to Jesus? Now, As we talk through this message, as as Jason preached last week, you can look at this week's message and last week's and say this, man, I get it. It's the gospel, but Chase, that's kind of shallow, isn't it? Just, here's salvation, that's all you got to do. Church, my response to that is if you hear the message this week or last week and say that's shallow, I want you to know there's a difference between shallow and foundational. Because what we're talking about last week and this week, the gospel and keeping our eyes focused on the mission, which is going out and seeking and save the lost, the point about that is that's what holds greatest priority. It's the lens we look through everything through. And it's how we remember this, because this is something that we've forgotten. We add to the gospel because we've forgotten this clear point. Christ transforms lives, not us. We're... We just take the message. And Great Oaks, here's here's my call for you this morning. What is our mission at Great Oaks? Put it on the screen for me, everybody. What we got? Helping people take their next steps towards Jesus. Now, I've highlighted the word there. Man, if I could bold that, underline that, make that 72-point font, I would do it. But it would look weird, and we like to have things a little production level. The reason that word's highlighted, when we take the gospel out, I hope you hear me. You're helping people take their next step, not yours, not where you think their next step should be. Because hopefully, a lot of people you meet might not know Jesus, and their first step is just finding the cross. But when somebody asks you, What's Great Oaks like? What's it like going to church? And we start saying, Well, we gotta do this, we gotta do this, we gotta do this. Oh my goodness, my soul hurts. I hope when somebody asks you, like, what's this all about? You say, man, I get to be part of this royal priesthood that Jesus loves me, even though no one else does, and he has saved me. Because what we know from all of the New Testament, all of it, the woman at the well wasn't brought because of some intellectual thought. She was brought because of the gospel word. Sisters Mary and Martha, because the gospel. The Philippian jailer, because of the gospel. Why did you stay? Because Jesus... Lydia, it's Jesus. Church, you don't have to make the message any different. It's worked for centuries. I preach this to myself all the time because I'm like, is it working? Yes, it does. Maybe my communication skills needs improved. Maybe how I say it needs improved. Our mission is to help people take their next step, not yours. Now... Let me split this up. For some of you that are in the room, your next step might be life group. It might be diving into community. You already know Jesus. I need to be better at spreading the gospel. Talk to Pastor Paul. That's like his forte. Come on. Have conversation with him. He'll he'll train you how to sit down with people at coffee and have this conversation that can go for a half hour and talk about Jesus. Maybe your next step is diving more in knowledge just to have more understanding of the word. That's okay. We have classes for that. Talk to my Connection Central. But for those of you in here that are like, man, I came and this is a bad Sunday. If it's your first time here, and I want to say this wholeheartedly, if you're in this room and you've been hurt by the church as a pastor, I want to look at you and say this. I'm sorry. From of my heart. Here's why I say that. This place is never supposed to wound you. This place is to help you show Jesus that can start healing wounds. My intention this morning is to not, you know, beat you with, like, this text. It's to convict us all that we need to know that we're to take the gospel out. John 17, Jesus' prayer. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one just as you. Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe you have sent me. Unity, church. We're about to do something next that highlights unity. Because if you're in this room and you said yes to Jesus, if you had that conversation, you said yes, I want to be part of this, this community of believers and I want to be part of just knowing who Jesus is and I want to take this awfulness that's in my life and I want to turn away from my old life and follow Jesus. We do something that symbolizes that. But if you've never made that decision this morning and you want to talk about that, please see one of us at Connection Central. Talk to someone around you, talk to your neighbor, that's fine with me, you can talk while I'm even talking, that's great. But the next thing we're going to do is take communion. And we do this as a representation of the cross. Because the night before he was going to the cross, Jesus broke bread and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. Do it in remembrance of me. And the same way he took the cup and said, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. Do so in remembrance of me. So as we take this together this morning, during this song, you are going to go up and go to one of these stations that we have. If you need help, they'll walk you through what you got to do. And this is just remembrance of that Jesus went to the cross for us. And if you're new to this, and you're like, Chase, this is really uncomfortable, that's fine. Stay where you are. We're going to have a song, stand and sing. That's totally fine. But we're going to go into a time of communion right now for those of you who want to partake. Let's go ahead and pray. But as we pray, let's stand up. God, as we come to you this morning, we thank you. Most importantly, what we need to thank you for is that we have your Son. (laughs) That he gave his grace on the cross. That you've seen us as redeemable. That you loved us anyway, no matter how flawed we are. God, as we partake of this this morning, we remember that. The sacrifice. The verse that we all know, even those that might not be churched. John 3.16, for God sent his only son into the world for us. And the next verse, not to condemn the world, but to save it. God, that is our prayer
1: this morning. We thank you for that. We lift this up in your name. You e It has been good to be with you today. Uh, I lied. We have one more thing to do today before we go. Um, we've added a lot of people. We're excited about
0: the new team, but we are sad to see one of our team members go. Um, part-time team member who we hired back in January, knowing he was going off to college and dreading this
1: day. And so um, I hate goodbyes, all of them. Um, if uh, if you think, men. Chase and I sound good, or Paul sounds
0: good when he's up here. It's not because we actually sound good. It's because we hired an incredible sound guy named Isaac. Isaac, if you'd come join me on stage. Uh, Isaac's been here making sure our online mix sounds good. We sound good in the room. The balance sounds great. And so.